Season one of this show is sponsored by FreshBooks, the number one invoicing software for freelancers and solopreneurs. If you're ready to take your side gig to the next level, you can't spend dozens of hours each week drafting invoices and chasing down late payments. With FreshBooks, you can send an invoice in less than 30 seconds. Plus, you can see when your client has opened their invoice and schedule automatic follow-up emails that trigger if they forget to pay. To try FreshBooks free for 30 days, visit freshbooks.com slash side gig and enter side gig in the how did you hear about us section. Later in this episode, you'll hear about one FreshBooks customer who uses it to scale their small creative business. So stay tuned for that. Hey everybody, this is Preston and you are listening to SideGig. We're three independent entrepreneurs who have built successful side businesses all while working our standard nine to five desk job. Your hosts are Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan Robinson. I'm a content marketing consultant to the world's top experts and growing startups. I've helped companies like Creative Live and LinkedIn, experts like Tim Ferriss and Lewis Howes, grow their brands and create more influence online through content marketing. Ian. Hi, I'm Ian Paget, also known as Logo Geek. My website and blog generates hundreds of new leads each month. I've also leveraged social media to be seen as an influential designer, which has attracted exciting opportunities such as the judging of International Design Awards. My side gig has been so successful, I've now gone part-time freelance. And me, Preston. I took a blog I started as an experiment in college and turned it into a business that now makes more than I do at my desk job. In episode four, we dissect Ian's journey as an entrepreneur. We'll learn how he has grown a sizable Twitter following and used that to build his career as a designer. Let's jump right in. So today we are getting to know a little bit better Ian, one of the co-hosts of the show. And um, Ian, why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now? Okay, so my name's um, Ian Padgett, and I'm basically in the position where I have a day job as a creative director, where I'm primarily working on um, e-commerce solutions. But as a side gig, I'm working on a project called Logo Geek. As part of that, what I'm doing is um, a service where I'm offering uh, clients um, logo projects. Um, but also on the side of that, I also run my own uh, website, blog, um, and a social media group. I focus primarily on Twitter, and on Twitter, I've grown that group to uh, 80,000. Um, so um, now I'm in the position where I'm essentially kind of in between my day job and my side gig. I've now taken my side gig part-time. So three days a week, I'm working for the company that I work for, and then two days a week, and the weekend, I'm essentially working for myself as Logo Geek. I love that. Um, Ian, I had a quick question for you, something that I'm always really interested in with um, fellow entrepreneurs. Have you had any experiences throughout your life, whether it was as a, you know, a child or an adolescent or an adult that have like had a really strong shaping on the trajectory that your career has taken now? Ah, that's a tricky one. I would say growing up, one thing that I was always very good at was drawing. You know, as a kid, I was drawing all the time in school. Uh, you know, when I would be drawing something, my, my teachers would say to me, oh, Ian, you know, you're really good at this, very talented at this type of thing. So for me, kind of working on art-related projects was a really important thing growing up. And uh, it was the type of thing, you know, when, when people around you are telling you that, that you're good at this type of thing, uh, you naturally do more of it. 
Growing up, I would enter like lots of different competitions and I would quite frequently win them. Um, so I was quite lucky, you know, sort of growing up as, as a kid having like drawings on, on TV and so on. When I got to about 18, um, I started to get more interested in you know, physical printed artwork. Like I was seeing things that people were doing and really looking at it thinking, OK, I know that was done on a computer. But how did they go about doing it? Up until that point, I'd only ever really known things like paint. So suddenly seeing this really like very sharp, high resolution um, imagery, I was just really fascinated about how that was done. Um, so when I did eventually get my very first opportunity to do that type of thing, I was so fascinated by it that I, I could actually, you know, turn my pencil drawings into fully vectorized artwork. That is really interesting. Um, do you remember what your first paid gig was, whether it was a full-time job or a freelance gig, and maybe a little bit about how that came about? I think any project in general, because from my understanding, you didn't instantly start with logos. So yeah, and I'd, I'd actually love to even rewind further back and say, like, I'd love to hear first logo job or first design job or whatever. Was there anything entrepreneurially as a kid that you did you know lemonade stands or you sold draw you sold some of these drawings you're talking about or anything that way or was it very was your childhood more like artistic and creative in my case i wouldn't really say that i grew up as an entrepreneur as such okay. um it's just more that i was really fascinated by creating drawings illustrations creating like literally just creating things so I think what I what I will talk through is literally how I eventually got into um, a, a day job working with logos, illustrations, and, and artwork, and so on. So I I was quite lucky. Like I I didn't study this type of thing in university, which is the the typical path. I did A levels in art, so that was something that I quite enjoyed. But in terms of moving on from that into university, I was in the situation where like, I'm, I'm the youngest of quite a big family, so my parents didn't want me to go to university. So I never really saw that as, as a potential option once I finished um, study. So I literally went from that and I needed to find a, a job. And I was lucky enough to find a job as a print finisher. Within this job, it was very much a hands-on role where I'm taking printed artwork that these two guys are working on and turning it into full-scale printed graphics. So I, I would say that was probably my first exposure to people working with Photoshop and Illustrator and stuff like that. And, and it was that point that I realized, okay, I don't want to be doing... Um, any of this sort of labor-based work. I want to be doing what those guys are doing on that computer. So they would design something on the computer, and then and then what What did you do? You ran the, you helped run the printer and that kind of thing? They essentially pressed print. There was two of us. We would have to take those printed rolls of graphics and essentially run it through a series of encapsulation machines and uh, cut it out and turn it into like exhibition type graphics. So, I mean, it was really hands-on. It was quite exciting. It was, it was a very creative job. I knew very early on that that wasn't the type of thing that I wanted to do. After that, I had an opportunity to work in an office where 10% of that job was working up with posters. So that would be my first official paid job working with illustration work. That was at a medical company. So within that medical company, the first thing that they asked me to do was create a, a poster of these different medical products that were laid out. 
because uh, what that team did, it was primarily admin. There was two women that worked there, but there was a very small part of that job where they would have to mock up these medical products on a piece of paper so that the sales team could go out and essentially sell it to the NHS. But what I didn't realize at that point was they was almost doing it as like stick illustrations. You know, it's pretty terrible. But uh, I sort of went in there. I, I didn't know any of the software, but I was able to sort of just open up the software and sort of, you know, just start playing around with different things. Like So like within my first day, I, I opened up Illustrator and I was just kind of clicking with the pen tool and I was able to draw something. It, it wasn't great. I didn't think it was very good but it was substantially better to what they was actually already doing. And because of this, they, the company was quite impressed with what I had done. And um, they put me on like a training course with um, a local print company um, where I was able to learn more. So I was quite young. I was only about 20 at that point. I just literally was so excited by this because I, I, I'd always wanted to learn how people create this type of thing. Went in with a whole list of questions and just kept learning and learning and learning. And I would say from that day, I've continued to learn ever since. And how long ago was that? Uh, that was probably about 10 years ago. Okay. And so, so you sort of took what you learned on the job. It looks like you had a lot of self-learning, self-teaching. Absolutely. So that's when I guess the very first stages of side gigging came in. Okay. What I did is around the same time, because I, I was really keen to learn, really excited to start learning. I remember very, very early on, uh, I think it was like MySpace days, I started offering my services for free, um, working on CD covers for bands and stuff like that. So um, I got to this point where, you know, I, I had a day job, but then just as a hobby to learn. I think that's been the main driver of everything that I've, I've been doing is just this hobby to keep learning has um, pushed me. So in, in terms of like side ventures from those early days, I was doing uh, like CD covers. I did some movie posters for a little bit. I did a few logos and so on. But it was all stuff that I, I did for free, almost fun, just because I, I it was things that I'd never done before. I wanted to um, learn how to do that. And I think it's interesting to point out too, you know, lots of people as they're con considering going from a desk job to a full-time business, sort of in the side gig mode, they they hear people say, don't do work for free or don't do work for less than what you're worth. And I'm curious, what was the motivation at that time behind doing free work? I mean, Yeah, I, I tend strategic. to hear this type of thing um, quite a lot. Like, I, I don't really understand that because if you don't know what you're doing, why should someone pay for your time? Because um, literally, I, I'd never worked on a CD cover before. I'd never worked on a film poster. I'd never worked on a logo. So for me, I wanted to start playing around with this type of project, um, but I wanted a real-world project to work on. So the best opportunity was to literally just put my name out there like at, at that point, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't stuff like this. But MySpace was really good. There was loads of um, bands and different people on there. That was a good place for me to go out, ask real people for projects and just get used to used to working with that type of thing. Yeah, I think it can be really easy for people interested in building a business to say, I'm not going to take the the job I don't want, or I'm not going to charge less than X. And eventually yeah. you do want to get to that point, right? You do eventually want to charge 
even more than maybe what you think you're worth. But in the beginning, that's the joy of doing a side gig. You don't have to make ends meet with just the money that you're making. So you might as well take full advantage of learning, networking, giving away things, doing pro bono work. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a limit to that. But I think you've shown, Ian, that that can pay off in the long run. Yeah, I think the the real value of it is that you're essentially building up a portfolio. So when you first start, you have absolutely nothing. You do one project for free, you've got something in your portfolio, and you keep you keep doing that. By the time you've done 10 free projects, you have um, a series of really nice examples. You've proven that you've been able to do that, and then you can start charging for that work. Do you remember what your first paid project was and how much you charged for it? Mm-hmm. I'm really curious. That's a great question. Hmm. I think one of the very first projects was a logo and it was for a colleague that I worked with. Um, they asked me if I could put something together. Um, and I remember feeling very nervous about charging them. Um, and I think I charged something like 25 pounds <laughs> for, uh, it was probably like three, four hours work, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> I would never do that now. Um, but I mean, it, again, it was, that was the very first time outside of a, a day job where, um, I offered my services to someone that was paying. So, I mean, to be fair, I was quite happy with that at the time. And it was for someone that I, I seen as a friend. Um, so I, ne- I, I never had a problem with that at all. I like that. Has that relationship ever led to future work for you? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> You're still doing uh, work at like eight pounds an hour for them? That- no, 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 no. I'm not doing anything like that. Okay. I think one of the worst jobs that I actually had when I really learned the value of uh, my time was when someone asked me to do a wedding video for them. And uh, yeah, if, if anyone does any video edit- editing, do not do any wedding videos, um, especially not for 50 quid because it's not worth it. <laughs> it's hours of hours of work. I think, uh, I think there is something powerful though, to be said about like breaking the seal on making your first money doing your side business. There's yeah. something emotional, psychological there of, wow, I went from doing free work that I enjoyed to actually getting paid. And yeah, it was only, 25 pounds for three or four hours of work, but I got paid to do something besides my job that I enjoyed. Yeah, I do. I, I totally agree with that. It's, it's quite a big moment when you, when you actually, someone in reality actually pays you money. Um, I know uh, in, in my case at that time, that was actually someone that I knew. So it wasn't so much of a big moment, but what I think is worth talking about is the time when someone that I didn't know actually got in touch and I think what I'll do is I'll rewind a little bit with Logo Geek um, the reason why I started that is because one of the side projects I was working on at the time was computer game artwork for um, a group of friends that I started working with this again was another free project but it took around four years after that it was so much work like it, it was on and off over four years continuously after that time, I literally made my mind up. I don't want to do any more side projects. This is too demanding with a day job. I would say probably about two weeks after that, I kind of got the itch to do some other project. I was talking with my, my partner at the time about this, 
And she said to me, um, you're really good at logos. Why don't you work on that type of thing? So I think you've got a talent for it. At that time, I hadn't done many. And I thought, yeah, this could be pretty cool. I wouldn't mind getting better at this as a skill set. So what I did is I um, sat down, I um, set up a, a WordPress uh, website, probably spent about 10 hours on it, you know, just literally in one day, just throw something together, get an install there, um, put up a few portfolio pieces, slap some text together. It had loads of spelling mistakes in it. But by the end of that day, I had some kind of website. Season one of Sidegig is sponsored by FreshBooks. Lots of our readers and listeners use FreshBooks every day to manage their side gig or growing business. Here's what Ian from ianvadas.com had to say about it. I've used FreshBooks for years to help with late payments. Their automated reminder emails are a great feature that give clients a nudge to pay up without having to have that uncomfortable money conversation. To join Ian and try FreshBooks free for 30 days, visit freshbooks.com slash sidegig and enter sidegig in the how did you hear about us section. Support for sidegig also comes from Bluehost. With a one-click WordPress install, 24-7 customer support, and a money-back guarantee, Bluehost has just what you need to rest easy. When you only have a few hours each week to grow your side hustle, you don't have time for your site to go down. With Bluehost, you won't have to worry about that. Learn more and get a special discount when you visit sidegigshow.com slash bluehost. That's sidegigshow.com slash bluehost. And now, enjoy the rest of today's episode of Sidegig. Like, I never expected that anyone would ever look at this website. It was purely for me. It kind of did the job. I remember doing that, kind of forgetting about it for a few weeks. I kept working on this website now and again, just adding little bits and pieces that I was doing. One day I got an email from someone through Facebook that seen that I'd done this website. I think I posted about it. It was someone I knew, but quite a distant friend. It was almost like an, an ex-colleague that I met briefly for one week. So that was quite a big deal because it's almost like someone that I don't know that well was paying me money to do this work. But then after that, this website, which was terrible, a real person that I did not know, someone out there in the world, they sent uh, an inquiry through that website and I was able to um, charge them a fairly decent amount of money for a Lego project. And that was a real eureka moment. <laughs> Like, I mean, I created this website. It was terrible. I had no idea that anyone would ever go there. But suddenly people started going to it. And I realized, oh, my God, uh, I need to start improving this. I need to start doing more with this. Which is the perfect story of a minimum viable product, right? Uh, you know, you, you got something up quickly. You didn't think it was that great, but it worked. It worked good enough that you were getting clients. And, and then you just iterated, iterated, iterated until it is what it is today. And I love... I think that for me from that story, which I think is awesome and such a, such an exciting moment for a side gigger is when you're not doing business for your aunt and your coworker mm -hmm. anymore, but you're just doing business for, for people who you've never met before and they somehow find you and you're doing business with them. I, I love, um, I love that whole story and, and here are some, maybe some takeaways from it that, that the listeners can apply to as, as they build their side gig. First of all, you went to your partner at the time you said, and mm -hmm. asked 
or or maybe she just told you what your strengths were and and it could have been staring you mm-hmm. right in the face but maybe you didn't realize oh I could turn that into a business and so as you're thinking about your different business ideas we covered in episode 2 maybe ask people around you what am I good at that I mm. could make money from what am I good at that people would pay me for what am I good at that you think I would enjoy doing as a career these are the kind of things that you may not even be considering and they could say well you know you could design logos for people and and all of a sudden it, it clicks in your brain you go oh yeah that would actually be really enjoy enjoyable and the other thing you've talked about this but I just wanted to drive it home was the idea of a minimum viable website you know so many people mm-hmm. spend so much time on their website and uh and the truth of the matter is you just need something that works good enough to start getting money in the door. At the end of the day, you're a business. And if you're not bringing in money, then you're just a hobby. And so you have to build something that will get in business and then you can make it perfect over time because your idea of perfect will change too. Uh, so I think it's important to note, especially on a side gig where you have such limited time, get out something that works well enough and then you can improve it as time goes on. Yeah, I'm going to expand on that because that's, that's a huge thing that I've found as a side gigger is I built this website that I spent just one day on. It sat there for a long time, but it set the foundations for something that I've been able to continuously work on. So, I mean, I, I haven't been working on it the entire time, but say like I get some time over Christmas and I'm you know, got got some downtime, I might sit there and just, you know, change the theme or tweak the content or add a new blog. Once you created something, you never lose that. Like it's always there and you can always build on it. And I think that's just like from, from my personal story, I think that's probably one of the big takeaways is that I've done lots of small steps over the last like four years since since that initial day when I started that project. And all those baby steps have created something bigger. That that was never my plan um, from the beginning. But just having something continuously working on it um, eventually, you know, has such a, a huge value to you in uh, any community you build. Have you ever had something on your website, whether it's you know a specific blog post or a specific portfolio example that has had like a disproportionately positive return for you? Like something that, you know, the majority of out or inbound um, clients ask about or reference? That's something I'm always curious about. There's been a couple of blogs that I've um, written. Um, like they don't necessarily get a high number of inquiries, but they get a lot of readers. So I um, recently wrote a blog about creating a project brief. Mm-hmm. And I I get so many signups from that page and I think it's because it's it's just good content. It's surprising with with a lot of content people assume that you should you should sell it but actually for me having this really good content that I've created even though I could technically put some of it into a book it's done well for me on Google and uh, it's been Google throughout the entire like time of my journey that's been bringing in the inquiries. So I think writing good content, it positions you as an authority in your niche. It also gets people onto your website that's reading it. It gets um, people sharing that content out there. It just has such immense value creating really good content. I think that's fantastic. I'd like to jump in now to 
talking, I mean, you sort of, you started talking a little bit about content marketing, right? You're writing blog posts, mm-hmm. they're bringing in inquiries. I know you have a, a large following on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You've established yourself as the logo geek. How has using Twitter impacted your business? I found this out by accident, but a lot of people assume that when you create a social media group that you're doing it to get inquiries. And now this is essentially the reason why I I first started using social media, because I mean, it kind of expands from that initial setup. So I created this quick website. I created a Facebook group. So literally, I was just focusing on my website and Facebook and I created this Facebook group. And I was posting, like finding content, posting on there. I quite enjoyed doing that. I used it as an opportunity for me. Like I could source content that I enjoyed reading and I could post it out. Um, But I was finding with Facebook, even though I was paying to grow the audience, I wasn't getting a, a lot of engagement. So it wasn't really exciting me that much. Someone recommended to me Twitter so um, since it wasn't going that well on Facebook, I decided, okay, I'm going to try this on Twitter. I, I discovered this tool at the time called Buffer, and I was able to post out to both of these. But as a byproduct of doing this quite early on, what I found was people started to approach me with opportunities. So one of the very first opportunities was to be on the jury for Transform Awards. I'd never done anything like this up until that point, but that was quite a, a nice push to keep doing this type of thing because, you know, just posting content out every day and building an audience, you kind of position yourself as a, an expert and people, they see that, they find you. And when that marketing person is working for that company and they're looking for someone that, that knows what they're talking about, they look to places like social media and you know they they reach out to these people as i continue to work on twitter i've had more opportunities like this so i've had blogging opportunities i've had judging roles um things like this podcast i wouldn't be doing this now like preston i wouldn't actually know you if i wasn't doing my social media so you know you just get to know lots of different people and the byproduct of that is an important attribute of search engine optimization is backlinks if you can get really authoritative backlinks from relevant websites, you're going to do pretty well on search engines. That's really interesting. So you've actually leveraged your expertise uh, as a logo designer yes. that you've built on Twitter yes. to actually improve your SEO, yes. which sounds like SEO is where you're getting a lot of your leads. That's literally been my main driving force. Using social media has opened doors to opportunities that are impossible to get otherwise. So things like interviews, I've done a lot of interviews on lots of different sites and from each interview, they give you a backlink. So one thing I wanted to really highlight for for the listeners was this recurring theme that I'm noticing with all of us is that if you focus on one thing that you're really good at, you know, one medium like social medium or for me, writing, marketing, um, when you focus on that one thing and just do a great job at it of providing value to other people, that sort of reciprocates inbound leads for more opportunities, right? Like the the first domino that falls. It's really interesting to hear that, that that's been your case with Twitter too. And in case you missed it, Ryan's referring to last episode where we interviewed Ryan about his journey. And I agree, Ryan, you know, there's, there's this power in sort of setting up your dominoes and then finding the first 
big domino that can topple it. And, mm-hmm. and it sort of takes off from there. We can all identify this moment in our journeys where something happened for, for you, Ryan, it was publishing lots of content and then finally getting connected with ink for you, Ian, mm-hmm. it was building this minimum viable website that, mm-hmm. that got you in queries and built and then building a Twitter following and using that to leverage um, expertise to get opportunities you wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. There's this defining moment where everything you've been working so hard building everything, getting it all set up, and then something happens and the dominoes start to topple. And it's it's really a, a cool moment for for everyone. But I think maybe one takeaway here is like you know, a lot of people don't see that there's years and years of building up to that moment. They just see the topple moment and they're like, man, I really wish that would happen to me. And you're like, well, the, the way that happened, quote unquote, happened to me is I worked for five years on something and then I, quote unquote, got lucky on mm-hmm. you know, getting published somewhere or getting an interview somewhere or getting this amazing client or whatever it might be. There's years of work that goes into that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, I totally agree with that because with all of my like fun side ventures, if I hadn't have done that, like each one of those things has been a learning curve. And with each one of those things, I, I guess it all eventually led to what I'm doing now with Logo Geek. With the game that I worked on, I got used to working quite frequently at home. So I was quite familiar with working on a side venture then I started to learn that you could promote using social media channels. So all these different experiences from both my day job and side ventures eventually all kind of came together and that's essentially what I'm doing now. So I have a question for you, Ian. Ryan and I are both content marketers by trade. Uh, okay. And there is a lot of talk right now in internet marketing, content marketing, a lot of talk about Twitter dying. What do you think about that? I wouldn't say that it's dying, but I do feel that the amount of engagement from my perspective is dropping. But I still think it's very much alive. Like each time I post something, even though I've got nearly 80,000 followers, each post gets around 50 to 100 likes and retweets. Which is really good engagement for Twitter. Yeah, that's insane. Mm. A tweet only lasts like 20 minutes, 28 minutes, something like that, roughly. So to get that level of engagement now when people are saying that it's dying, that just shows that, no, it isn't dying because I'm still getting the engagement from it. I'm still getting opportunities from it. And I mean, I am, of course, going to start looking at other options for what I can do. But yeah, Twitter for me has been my main driver. But I am aware that at some point, obviously, these platforms will eventually die. Um, So what I've started doing as a backup plan is um, I created a freebie, which I've been able to offer out to people. So they sign up to receive this free book and I capture their data. So you're collecting email addresses so that if your Twitter engagement starts to go down, you still have a way to interact with people. Yes. Yeah. And so far I've got about 5,000 emails. So even though it's not 8,000, it's still quite a good number. Yeah, sure. And some people might argue that 5,000 email subscribers is more valuable than 80,000 Twitter followers, depending on what your goals are. 
And and it's important to note, you know, if, if you're just trying to get traffic to your website, Twitter might not be the best option for you. But as Ian has explained, using Twitter to leverage expertise, to get opportunities c- to connect with people, Twitter is basically the cocktail party of the internet. Mm-hmm. And so it can still be a great way to connect with people, network with people. And as we've discussed before, that's a huge piece of your business. I think it gives you access to anyone. If you're looking for people that are interested in a specific topic, Twitter gives you the visibility of who's engaging. So, for example, if someone was to post a tweet about, like, it could be anyone, it could be absolutely anyone in the world. If they tweet something, you can actually see who's liked that post, who's retweeted that, who's responded to it. So from a, you know, person to person point of view, you can easily find these people. There's endless opportunities there and whatever your goals are. And I think it's important to be aware of that is like what your goals are. You can you can find opportunities so easily using social media. Well, I'm curious what both of you think about this. If we if if we have listeners, for example, who are working in nine to five and they haven't started their side gig yet. Would you suggest they start a Twitter account and use that in their marketing strategy? And if so, in what way do you guys think? Um, I would say uh, definitely. I think it's important to bear in mind that you shouldn't use it as a, um, a sales driving tool, but I think you should use it as a way to position yourself as an expert and also um, get to know and network with people that you know could potentially give you opportunities. So for example, I was really keen to start doing things with Creative Block. So what I would quite frequently do, just so that they would notice me, is I would post their content and tag them in what I'm doing. So whoever's managing that um, Twitter account, you're essentially, um, by tagging them in that post, they can see that. So you can start to build up a relationship with someone from a very um, kind of distant point of view, and then you can start touching base with them. So like you, you built up that like quite distant relationship, and then you can approach them in different ways. So you could potentially email them, or you know you, you can pick up the phone and speak to them and say, oh, I, you know, I noticed that you tweeted about this, or um, I responded to this, or so on. Like there's just endless opportunities. I've seen that happen too. If you're familiar in the freelancing world, there's a guy named Paul Jarvis and he, he does creative class, which I can link up all this stuff in mm. the show notes so that you can become familiar with Paul Jarvis. But um, I've just been interacting with him on Twitter, sort of very casually, like responding to funny things that he says or just joking back and forth, very casual, informal. And then the other day I had a question for him and I sent him a direct message and man, he was so gracious. He responded. He gave me lots of advice. It was actually about podcasting. He was very, very helpful. And he said, if you ever need anything else, just let me know. And so we now have this relationship. I now feel like he's Mm -hmm. part of my network, I guess you could say, where I could reach out to him and ask for help if I need help on something. And it all started because we interacted on Twitter. So I think I think there are lots of ways you can use it. I think uh, in my opinion, anyway, Ryan, you can tell me what you think. The goal shouldn't be to start Twitter, start a Twitter account and build a huge following necessarily. The goal should be to use it again as as a cocktail party to meet people, network with mm-hmm. people, and um, provide as much value like we talked about last episode. Provide as much value to the people that you interact with so that they mm-hmm. feel the need to bring value back to you as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Like for me, it's it's all just relationship building. Um, whether it's potential opportunities for me or people within my community that might want to learn something from me in the future. So I don't really look at, you know, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, 
Pinterest, any of that. I don't look at it with with any sort of specific, you know, business metric in mind. It's all it's all about building future opportunities. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Let's wrap up uh, Ian's story here by just asking Ian, what's your current situation? Are you, you know, partly working somewhere and side gigging? Are you full time freelancing? My current situation, I got my website to a point where it has very good Google positions. I get a lot of inquiries by um, email. And because of that, and because I was taking on um, quite a lot of projects, I decided I would essentially go full-time freelance and see what I could do with that. Um, But talking with my employer, I've been with that company now for pretty nearly eight years now. Um, I didn't want to just leave them, you know, immediately. Like I wanted to give quite a a long period of of notice so that I could kind of fade out the company essentially. But what I agree with them is that I would go part-time. So I'm still working for that company, um, but that's Monday to Wednesday. And then the remainder of the time, I'm essentially working on um, logo projects. So I spend a lot of my time working on uh, logos and also as much as I have time for, like continue to um, grow my uh, social media following and create um, content. And Ian, just for the record, um, if you Google Logo Design UK, you are the first two results that come up. So you're doing something right. first two now, (laughs) yeah. Wow, that's really fantastic. I feel like we need to do eventually a whole episode on search because it sounds like both of you are really good at um, search engine. Uh, I think that could be really helpful, especially, you know, if you're starting the side gig, you don't have very much time. And so doing a couple things to really optimize your website could really pay dividends on the back end. Uh, I think it's worth saying from from my perspective, if I hadn't had the those Google search results, I would not get anywhere near as many opportunities that I would and I probably wouldn't be in the position where I'd be able to step away from a full-time job so from my point of view one of the one of my focuses is continuously working on that SEO in some degree and um, I mean for me Twitter even though I'm using Twitter as a way to create content and position myself as an influencer also being um my way to get opportunities for backlinks from an SEO perspective and opportunities to um, answer people's questions and, you know, literally like physically add value um, to anyone that has any interest in logos. And I think that's why I'm doing so well on um, Google is because uh, I get links from really authoritative sites that are very relevant and creating content and when I do I'm answering physical questions and then when I do post that content out I get lots of very good um, social signals questions responses and so on sure. and I think from an SEO perspective all those different things essentially um, give you good positions on um, Google I don't think Google's well I mean it is very complicated but I think if you get links from the right places and you create good content and you know you help people out using social channels i think you're naturally going to get good search results yeah i think that's a, a great discussion i think we could probably dedicate a whole episode or two mm, definitely to search to seo i know ryan you know a lot about that as well so let's put a pin in it there we'll we'll pick it up another day is there anything else you wanted us to to cover ian or any other questions you had ryan no that was awesome ian thanks all right thanks cool. thanks so much man okay no worries thanks guys 
As always, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please take a second to give us an honest rating and review on iTunes. You can find a link to the show on iTunes at sidegigshow.com. You can also subscribe for updates, announcements, and new episodes by visiting sidegigshow.com. We'll also be doing a series of Q&A episodes all about building a successful side business. If you want your question answered on the air, visit sidegigshow.com. If you enjoyed the show, take a second and head over to sidegigshow.com and share with your friends. Show notes for this episode are found at sidegigshow.com slash Ian. Hey everyone, Ian here with a quick announcement. I have a free ebook packed with logo design tips from the pros, with contributions from known designers including Aaron Draplin, Michael Beirut, and Jacob Cass. For a free copy, simply visit logotips.co.uk.